All right, Mike, I'm going to turn it over to you. You got me disabled still, Ray. I just, you, you have it now. All right. That's like my greatest fear in life that you disabled me. All right, let's get, let's get rolling, right? We got a Saturday to, to attend to, but we want to start it off with a, a good, good trip through the word. Okay. So again, we're in week seven. Okay, so let's just refresh ourselves from last week. Okay, we, you know, we uh, completed the building project, right? Okay. Um, a couple of things that I just want to point out, just, just some big, you know, balcony type, um, you know, comments. You know, we spend a lot of time as leaders answering critics. You know, again, one of my life verses now, you know, is in Nehemiah 6.3. You know that that I can't come down on doing a good work, right? That's that's going to be my one of my go-to statements, I believe, for lots of things. Um, hopefully, I use it in the right context. Okay, so I, I think what we need to understand is that you know as we go through this, um, you know we're going to be men and women in leadership or serving leaders. You know today we're going to see about not only being a Nehemiah, you know, but kind of being that that right-hand person for that leader, okay? So I think it's very important that we don't pigeonhole ourselves in life to being a Nehemiah if we feel led to leadership because there's other roles too. And I'll kind of talk through that a little bit, you know, but men and women with a vision, they always stand out, okay? Um, you know, so critics are gonna question what you're doing because it's different. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to go, I'll, I'm sure I'm going to take a sidebar today on this pluralistic society that we live in. Okay. I'll define pluralism. Okay. Cause I, I, I tend to go crazy on that term, but really we're in a pluralistic society um, and, and, and people of, of faith, people with a vision, people with a purpose, they all stand out. You're going to be a freak. Okay. And expect that in leadership. So uh, we'll kind of, we'll dig into that just, just a little bit. And, and just kind of, you know, talk through her a little bit. Last week, you know, I, I said, Andy Stanley summarized it pretty good. There's a couple of authors that I go through, but he summarizes it pretty well in terms of, you know, there's distractions we're going to deal with, you know, and, and uh, those distractions, one, we're going to get opportunities all over the place, right? So, you know, as I prepare each week, I, I still haven't conquered the email thing, right? I, I, I want to, there is a thing where you can stop getting email. You know, you turn turn the off button on, and it stops downloading into your into your uh, computer. But it keeps coming to my phone for some reason. So, I got to figure out how to completely disable email. That's always a, a huge distraction to me as, in terms of opportunity. There's always going to be something else that comes along the way as you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, right? Um, like this morning, I was finishing up some of my thoughts about six o'clock, and my high school principal texted me. So that's got, it can't be good, right? 6 a.m. on a Saturday morning. Um, but he's just gotten to a place where we all get to, we don't sleep anymore. So you, you end up texting at odd hours or, you know, calling at odd hours. I always told people, I don't really have boundaries uh, personally when we call. So I'll call all the time. So I, I feel bad now because I, I'm probably being a big distraction for those leaders I work with. The second thing, you know, uh, Stanley spoke to was criticism. You know, I put the term, it, it is reported. You know, that's like the gossip, you know, the, the, the biblical phrase for, you know, spreading rumors. You know, we talked about that and that's that's going to be a huge distraction for us as well. We know that Sam Ballot, you know, took that little, that, you know, that papyrus or the, the roll, you know, and he forgot to seal it, you know, funny enough, um, and, and kind of spread the word. You know, we went through that a little bit last week. And then of course, fear, you know, there, there there's going to be people, um, that cause you to have a stomach ache, you know, that cause you to have heart palpitations that make you worry. Um, you know, again, those are the distractions we saw with Nehemiah finishing up as he was directly attacked. Any thoughts from last week or takeaways that, you know, you just, they kind of hit you this week? Okay. Well, let's rock. Let's get into this. Okay. Um, just to review, we're at the very end of chapter six, right? 
okay, and we know the wall was completed, okay, uh, in those 52 days. And ironically, it timed up pretty well. Um, you know, it, it, it talked about in this passage, um, you know, at this point, verse 16, let's read that again and just really soak that in a little bit. When all the enemies heard about this and all the surrounding nations were afraid, they lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of God. And, and Tobias sent letters to intimidate me. So I, I kind of skipped down. It, you know, I, I skipped verse 17 and 18, just get to 19. There's a couple of points that I just want to make from the end of the chapter in six as we move into seven. Okay, the enemies were frightened and they were humiliated at this point. Okay, yeah, you know, I have the, the New Living Translation and, and they, they talked about being humiliated. This, you know, this NIV says lost their self-confidence. Okay, why do you think the enemies were afraid, humiliated, lost their confidence? We, we were being attacked and persecuted, but now all of a sudden it stops and, and they've lost this. Why, why do you think that? Do you think we come to a position in life where the unsaved just, just see what happens and they can't explain it? You know, they're, 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 they're in awe. And I think this is a, an opportunity, one, to minister to the lost, but also I think, you know, God, God will be our defender. And this is where I think at the end of this chapter, there's just a real a real silence. Any thoughts to this? Well, I think I think they just saw a wall get resurrected in 52 days. You know, they're like, uh-oh. Like, whatever they're doing over there, they're they're doing good. It's just like watching the Patriots rebuild their team in a, in a day of free signing agent, of, of free agency, you know? Everybody's like, uh-oh. You think people are afraid of Belichick? You know, no. he goes out and spends eighty million. You think you know <laughs> Belichick's coming well, yeah. back? Yep, that's a true statement, right? I appreciate the parallel, buddy. You really got me going. Okay, you know where my interests lie. So, you know, you think about this now. We're going to move into into you know the next chapter, and in this first part of Nehemiah, we're basically finished through chapter six. Okay. You know, this is where the people existed for the walls, but now the walls are going to exist for the people. Okay. So you've built a structure. Okay. You've done the labor, you've put in the time, but now you're going to see very intentionally what God does, you know, after he uses the, the, the hands and the labor of people, you know, we, we've now got something, we've got something that's put everybody around us just in a complete hush they're quiet they're in awe you know they're seeing god firsthand whether they're they're believers or not they're seeing god okay now we have to understand i put this verse 19 in here okay that um you know that that there's still going to be pressure you know tobiah is still related to people that are within the walls that are within the jewish culture okay there's still going to be things going on where there's going to be some intimidation Okay, so again, that's that's a little side note at the end, but we have to make sure we understand that, and we'll see it as, as we get into chapter seven here. Okay, so as we get into this, into chapter seven, okay, uh, it, it's a long chapter, okay, and, and it's a long chapter because there, there's an accounting of people in the chapter, okay, and, and again, very typical to, you know, Old Testament scripture, um, they, they put a lot of biblical names and identifications through this chapter. Um, but again, I think all of that is important. So let's let's kind of dive in and see where it takes us. Okay, Wearsby, as he went into this chapter, says he identifies three important steps as we protect the people. You know, that's what we're looking to do at this point. Okay, so let's read the first chapter in mean, the first verse here. After the wall has been rebuilt and I set the doors in place, the gatekeepers, the musicians, the Levites were appointed. I put it, I put in charge of Jerusalem, my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most people do. So let's just let's just pause on that as he starts. Okay. Um, 
you know, obviously there's some people identified here, but the first thing we, we, we kind of take a look at is that we had our walls, okay, rebuilt. Okay, let's, you know, um, let me let me jump to chapter or, or verse two here real quick. Okay, just a reminder that Hananiah, okay, was the brother who came to Nehemiah uh, to tell him about the, the deplorable state of Jerusalem. So if you can remember back, okay, um, right before that verse four, where, where Nehemiah just broke out in tears, you know, chapter one, verse four, okay, um, Hananiah was his brother that came and said, you know, that, that um, the, they're in trouble, there's a disgrace, the wall of Jerusalem's broken down, the gates have been burned with fire. So right after that, if you remember, Nehemiah just, you know, burst out in, in uh, tears and emotions, and that kind of set the stage for the whole book of Nehemiah. So obviously, this is a trusted person for him. Okay, so let's kind of move forward. So I kind of tried to highlight some things that stood out in this section for me. So when you look at, you know, let's start off with the doors. Okay, we're putting doors in place. Um, you know, so things are being fortified at this point. You know, so as Christians, I think what's the tone that's set right now, you know, with, with doors and locks, you know, is that as Christians, we need boundaries. You know, I think that uh, it's very important for, for us to understand, you know, that there, there's got to be a level of protection to protect the word, you know, to protect the sanctity of worship. And I think that's that's how this is started here. Okay, when you look at gatekeepers, okay, we're going to talk about the gatekeepers, obviously, that when the doors are set in place, there's going to be people to guard the doors, there's going to be a, a system that people go in and out with, you know, with the gatekeepers. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about that as well. So normally, I think, in you know, when you had in Jewish culture, they had the gatekeepers and they'd open the gates at sunrise and sunset. You know, so you think about it, there was a system in place um, that that, you, you know, this is this is how we want to operate, you know, because obviously they want to shut the gates and sleep at night so that they felt protected. Now, you'll see Nehemiah goes a little bit of a step. He goes a step further here a little later. Okay, so our application here, obviously, is that God calls on us to watch over wherever our ministry is. In this case, it was the city. Um, you know, I think you, the first act you see by Nehemiah here is he's appointing assistance. And I think it's very important for us as leaders. You know, every community needs leaders. And I think it's very important when you skip all the way down here to um, the second verse, what does it take to be a leader? Why, why was uh, Hananiah and Hananiah, why were they trusted men? What did they possess? Two things. Integrity and they feared God. So I guess the big question, I face this this week, you know, so Ray, I might need a little counsel, but, you know, I was in a situation this week where we really, uh, we're really questioning people and, and their walk with the, the Lord. You know, are they uh, people that are safe to be within our gates, so to speak? Okay. It doesn't seem like there's this real kind of lethargy of a million things that somebody needs all these qualifications, okay, in order to be trusted as a servant of the Lord. They need to be a, a man of integrity and fear God. Okay, are the two things that I'm seeing here. Um, obviously, you know, there's more to that. But I, I look at sometimes, you know, as believers, we argue and we debate about different topics, you know, that can separate us. And that really makes me nervous, you know, quite frankly. I, I, I just, I'm not God, you know, and, um, you know, God took me to Matthew 7 this week, you know, where we, I think it was Matthew 7, where we're talking about, you know, judging others. And, and I think that um, that's a hard thing for me to do, especially like, you know, if they put me on a governing board, let's say they put me on an elder board, or they put me, you know, or if someone's in the ministry, and they're kind of, you know, charged, you know, to protect the ministry as Nehemiah is here. Okay, you know, at, at what point, 
you know, do you, you put faith in the integrity and fearing God, or do you start splitting hairs over other things? I mean, you know, talk about that a little bit. Have we seen that in the church at all? So I, I'll just speak from my personal perspective. I mean, I, these two things are really big and I, I, I probably couldn't have phrased in this way, but in the past, right. Uh, in the past, when I struggled with the decision uh, that, that the elders made, or we were going through difficult times, I continually came back and said, but these, these men love the Lord uh, and uh, they love the people and they love the church and, and they are acting it, with integrity those those things kind of give you confidence even when you're in disagreement uh over something regardless of how big or small it is uh, and it says hey it, this means that i can continue to walk with you because these two things are true absolutely and i've always you know again as somebody who serves in leadership in other areas i've always taken great uh, caution in questioning people of leadership because it's so difficult. But if God has placed, especially spiritual leadership, if God has placed elders in their role, like, you know, Ryan sits here as an elder, okay? Ryan might drive me insane. He, he, I might disagree with everything he does, but I need to defer to him because our church, okay, has commissioned him as an elder of our church. And I think at some point there's a level that we, even if we're, you know, distrusting or upset, we, we have to submit, you know, and I think that's a, a very important part of this. So, you know, again, I, I don't want to go too far on this, but when I look at, you know, Hananiah and Hananiah, I'm in a, in a role right now as, a, as, kind of, as an assistant superintendent, you know, in a school district. And the superintendent I work with is very similar to Nehemiah, and I'm his, you know, Hananiah, okay? And that's hard for me at times, you know, because there's times I don't agree with them. And I got a strong personality. And I, I remember reading this. I actually read this with him, okay, uh, when I taught the first time. And it really just, you know, sat me down, shut me up and said, you've got a really important role. You've got to appreciate your role. And you've been trusted, you know, basically as a, a, a hand and eye. And, and that's good. That's a good thing. I aspire to be a Nehemiah, but I don't know if God wants me to be a Nehemiah. You know, and I think that's an important, you know, level of, you know, again, when you're in corporate America, you aspire from a human perspective to get to a role in leadership, but that, that might not be where God wants you. You know, I think that's very important to consider because um, there, there might be a place where God just, just says this is perfect, you know, and, um, you know, I think we have to appreciate that. Okay, so a couple other things before I, I kind of move on. Um, you know, obviously, Hananiah was his brother, okay? Hananiah was a commander of the citadel, which essentially, um, you, you know, which essentially is the temple area, okay? And that's still fortified. You know, you know when Ezra came back, you know, to rebuild the area, Ezra did, you know, we're going to see Ezra introduced a little bit more here in chapter eight, but Ezra uh, had been in the area for about, you know, about 10 to 15 years before Nehemiah. Okay. And, and some of those areas were attempted to be established and redeveloped. And I think at this point, you know, obviously we know, um, you know, when we look at a temple, that was a fortified area. And that was a trusted man that was put in charge of that, the commander of the citadel. Okay. So that's why those two people were, were pretty, uh, pretty valued. So at this point, Nehemiah is calling them. And I think that the takeaway here, obviously, is to just consider where you are in leadership. Okay, so Nehemiah said, okay, I said to them, the gates of Jerusalem are not to be open until the sun is hot. While the gatekeepers are still on duty, have them shut the doors and bar them. Appoint residents of Jerusalem as guards, some at their posts and some near their own houses, now the city was large and spacious, but there were a few people in it and the houses had not been rebuilt. Okay, so we're kind of getting the state of affairs here, you know, with um, what, what the city looked like after the wall was built. Okay, so, so now what, what, do you, what do you consider here? You know, I, I highlighted at the top, the first statement, verse three. I told you that the gates were typically open sunrise to sunset. 
okay, why do you think the gates of Jerusalem were not to be open till the sun is hot? You know, so to me, that tells me it's not sunrise, but it's more midday. Why did Nehemiah make that adjustment? When, you know, you look at the city, okay, look at some of the key facts here. Okay, they just reestablished the city. He made, he, he made a change. You know, like so many times as leaders, I, again, this one hit me too hard this week, where sometimes people take a leadership role and they don't want to deviate from a plan, right? Okay, just because you make a plan doesn't mean you have to stick with it. I'll keep saying that, okay? In this case, Nehemiah said, we're not opening the gates till the sun's hot. So what's that? What, why did he do that? Why do you think he gave him a little extra time in the morning? What you'll find is we're trying to, he's reestablishing the spiritual condition, okay? And I think in order to reestablish your spiritual condition, again, you've got to give yourself some time, you know? I, I, you know, I go back, you know, again, why do you think Chick-fil-A is off on Sundays, okay? You know, I think that's part of reestablishing the spiritual condition on a weekly basis, okay? Why do you think Nehemiah said, you know what, we don't need those gates open at sunrise, we're going to keep them locked, you know, lock and key. We're going to keep them guarded even while the sun is rising until it gets hot. We'll open the city for a couple of hours and people will adjust. So think about Chick-fil-A, okay? You know, McDonald's is open on a Sunday. Chick-fil-A is not, okay? But when you look at revenue, how does that work, Brad? Where do you guys fall in terms of, of restaurants at rankings, you know, in terms of uh, revenue? Where, where does Chick-fil-A compare to like the McDonald's and some of the other places? Yeah, we usually do like maybe two or three times more than our competitors and we're closed a day. So a lot of it's just capacity of what we do in a day. But yeah, I think people respect the fact that we're closed on Sundays as well. And it gives our equipment and our team the day to rest, you know, which makes us more productive through the week. But, but take that in, though, too, in terms of, a, you know, a worldly thought process. You know, how can you be closed a day and make two or three times more of the amount of money? You know, I mean, that, that's, that itself should, you know, you go back to the end of chapter six and why those ungodly people couldn't say a word and they were just in awe of God. Do you think people are in awe of Chick-fil-A when they know that, you know, you're, you have one less day to earn money? I mean, that's, that, that's cool. Yeah. From an investor standpoint or business mindset, absolutely. It doesn't make sense to them. And of course, people say, imagine what you can make if you were open on Sunday. And I always say, imagine what we would lose if we were open on Sunday. Um, so people don't think about that. If they see like a, they're looking at money, yeah, you know, that's one side of it, but the, you know, our people are the most important process or part of our business and taking care of them on Sundays is, is huge for us. Absolutely. Great point. Great point. So again, we, let's move down a little bit. So, you know, we had our gatekeepers on duty at the gates, you know, not opening the gates, you know, we're, we're staying closed when we want to. Okay, and we're shutting and barring them, but we also took residents. Okay, and this is kind of like our our neighborhood watch. Okay, right. So you have a typical, you know, you always kind of employ the gatekeepers, but now you got people walking along the wall, you know, right near their their houses. You know, so Nehemiah could condition the people to build the walls near their houses, but now he's got the neighborhood watch where we need to fortify it even more because we, we know that they're still out there. Remember when we looked at, at, at uh, verse 19 in chapter six, okay, we knew that uh, Tobiah was still kind of lurking. Things are still going on. He's still active. That enemy doesn't, doesn't just end, okay? So he was going to appoint the residents to do kind of the neighborhood watch, um, which I thought was very important. You know, I, I think it's important that, uh, we, we need to know that churches, businesses, and families need to be different. And I, I found it very interesting. We, um, we're in the process of doing some interviewing uh, over at the Christian school, and, and uh, there was a candidate who um, had a spouse that it, it is kind of like a chaplain for businesses. And I'm just fascinated by that. So, Brad, this is where I'm going, buddy. So, like, I'm, well, say I'm going to work on Tuesday at, at Chick-fil-A. This guy basically partners with businesses to be at their chaplain you know so you think about it an army always has a chaplain right but but think about like ryan hostetter okay he works for cnc insulation and ryan i gotta tell you i've seen some of the guys at cnc at times okay they could use a chaplain every once in a while okay 
I'm just saying, I used to live next door to one for a long time, okay? And, and not that there's anything wrong with, with CNC insulation, but they have such a large business, okay? And they work, um, you know, they're all over the place. So what Ryan basically does, he, he, he gets all these, these jobs and he sends people in little small teams going in all different directions. And it's not like they're all working in one facility where he's got his hands on these people. Wouldn't it be very profitable like for someone like Ryan to employ a chaplain one day a week, you know, to go to a job site to meet the spiritual needs of the people within his, you know, within with, that are his employees. I, I found that fascinating. And I think to myself, you know, is, is that kind of what is, is going on here? Like when you look at, you know, the people that we're starting to build within the organization. And I, I think that as we appoint our residents and we and we meet their needs, we're going to now meet their spiritual needs. I think that's that, that's super valuable. Any any thoughts or comments on that? Okay, this is where I also introduce um, the concept of pluralism. You know, like Wiersbe brought this up, and you know, like for me as I read this, I'm like, oh my word, he's so right. You know, we have a day and age of pluralism. So basically what pluralism is, is that people agree with everything, okay? You know, we don't make waves. We just let things happen, right? Okay, so just because people say you've got to do this or government says you've got to do this, okay? It's a pluralistic society. So we're moving more and more towards no rules. You know, there's, there's no conditions. There's no, um, you, you know, it, there, there's no biblical truth. And I think it's very dangerous and we have to be aware of that. So as Christians, you know, we have to be very careful, do everything by the word of God, you know? So I think as things pass by us in society, you know, there's no better way to do that than to take our ministries, whether it's our homes, okay, our schools, our, our um, you know, churches, and we have to make sure that we're protecting the gates, you know, and fortifying it more so than normal. Okay, and I think that's what Nehemiah saw here. You know, he's dealing with that pluralism. It was a deplorable society, and I think that he's trying to recapture some of that. So the one way to do that, obviously, is to have more precautions set into place. You know, so you think about how many spiritual checks and balances do we have, you know, and I think that's a way to, you know, that's where I got off on this, uh, this, this corporate chaplain. I, I love the concept. I didn't realize that there was an organization that, you know, pastors and former pastors participated with businesses as corporate chaplains thought it was a phenomenal thing so think about this too at the end you know in verse four it says the city was large and spacious but there were few people in it okay and the houses have not yet been rebuilt so we got a wall okay but we don't have a lot of people so formerly when you look at jerusalem uh, i read somewhere that the city had half a million people and now there's only about 10% of the population. So as we go through this chapter, all the people in the walls are going to be identified. But you got to know that, that we have this huge area and there's not a lot of people. You know, so I think that's that poses its own problem as well. There's a lot of territory to cover. You know, formerly this was very populated. Now, what you're going to see, though, as we go through chapter seven is, you know, I think Nehemiah was very careful not to overpopulate. You know, think about the church, you know, we've got to be very careful not just to let anybody become members, you know, because I think when you, when you overpopulate, you, you, you kind of undervalue, okay, you underprotect what needs to be protected, thus here comes the pluralism, okay, any thoughts? I know when our family moved from Maryland to switch schools and we were looking for a private school, the thing that, you know, we, we came to interview at Mount Calvary School and we were so keyed on into every type of word, every, we were just trying to pick up on anything that disturbed us. And there was such a contrast there from what we were used to that that's what drew us was the contrast. And we have loved Mount Calvary for that, so. That's awesome. Hi. And, and I think, again, you know, you look at it and, and by word, okay, and by mission, you know, I think that that's a foundation for Mount Calvary Church, Mount Calvary Christian School. But I think what's, what's you know, we got to be careful of, there's humans that, 
you know, are, 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 are kind of laying out that condition. So I, I think we always have to take ourselves back to the mission, vision, and values and the word, you know, and I think that's what, what kind of grounds us. And, and I've always seen that at Mount Canaveral over the you know, 25 years I've been there. It's, it's always been a blessing. And I think for me, you know, while I always fight a, a, a little bit of uh, legalistic, you know, banter, uh, I, I also appreciate it too. You know, I think there's a, there's a, a piece of that, that, you know, I think, I think there's gotta be a governance and there's gotta be rules and we've got to understand what our core values are, you know, in order to make things um, the right way. And I think, you know, we, we kind of, when we come to making decisions in the church or the school, I find it very neat that the people always try to find consensus. You know, I'm not really in a world of consensus in my business. You know, I don't think, I don't think you have to have nine zero votes you know, to do something. Um, but I do, I do understand why we try to get to that place, right? You know, I think that that is important in ministry for sure. Um, and that's something, you know, I think I'm challenged with all the time that, you know, like if we have one or two people that, you know, aren't in, 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 in line, so to speak, you know, with the, the, the larger majority of people, how, how does a church handle that? You know, so, you know, maybe Ray or somebody to speak to that, like, if you're not, in full agreement of something, you know, how do we move on decisions when, when people are spirit led, right? When we have, you know, a group of nine or a group of 12 people, you know, in that situation. Have you ever experienced that in, in, in leadership? Any, anyone even, I won't put Ray in a spot, but anybody else? I've heard some advice from Patrick Lencioni about that. And even uh, Jeff Bezos from Amazon says, disagree to commit. So I used to come from the idea of consensus where I need everybody on board before I move forward with something. And then I realized I never got anything done because no one ever got on, not everybody got on board. Um, so recently I've, I've been focusing more on the commitment piece of like, you can disagree with this, but I need you to, co to commit, you know, to seeing this project through it if you don't agree. So we've been changing a little bit, of, even of my leadership structure, a little bit of that. Of, it's not about consensus anymore. It's about, you can voice your opinion you can feel free to disagree, but I need you to commit so we can go forward. Awesome. Great point. Okay, so let's keep rolling. In Nehemiah 7, 5, 6. So my God put into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, the common people for registration by families. I found the genealogical uh, record of those who had been first to return. And this is what I found written there. These are the people of the province who came up from captivity of the exiles from Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, taken captive. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. Okay, so, you know, simply put, again, when we get through this, okay, you know, the first thing in this chapter that we took, took a look at, and I kind of skipped over this. So I want to just, let me, give me a second to go back through my notes. There was one thing that I wanted to say. You know, I think the first step that we saw that Wearsby identifies is that we have to, as leaders, enlist leadership. And we saw that, okay, where he enlisted, you know, those two people and some other people to, you know, gatekeepers and, and then people to protect their houses on the walls. So you enlist your leadership is the first thing Wearsby points out. And then what he gets to is a second step is we have to establish some kind of citizenship um, in order to protect people. Okay. So, so you know, you're going to see as he goes through this genealogical record, it's very important, you know, that, that people are equally yoked, you know, people, people are committed to, um, you know, as Heidi said, you know, you're drawn to statements of, of faith, you know, you're drawn to, you know, statements of core values. And I think that's important to have those because people know what you stand on. I'd say just about every candidate that we interviewed for a superintendent at Mount Calvary was funny. They all, which is good, they all looked at our statement of faith. That's, that's where they started. You know, there was no other place they went other than the statement of faith. And they wanted to know what we say we believe in. And I think that's very important. You know, think about that as a family. You know, if you don't have core values as a family, okay, and what we stand on, you know, what are your kids going to know to attach themselves to? So I think that's that's important for any unit, okay? So many people are monitored, kind of mobile population. They care very little about, you know, family, civic loyalty, um, you know. So there's a, a comment that I read that true patriotism sees no conflict between 
uh, loving one's home city and loving one's nation. Okay, so they're both gifts from God. So I think, you know, you think about what our country looks like and the division that we have currently, you know, and I think that's, that's you know, important because I'm not sure we're, we have an established citizenship in our country. And I think we're at a crossroads. So I, I think when you look at people pointing back to the Lord and pointing back to the scripture, you know, from a, from a government standpoint, I think that's important because we aren't attaching ourselves to anything. We see a pluralistic society. You know, and that's that's kind of at the core of what we see is kind of going south. Okay, and then finally, in the company with Zerubbabel, Joshua, Nehemiah, now I'll keep going. This is what's funny. I'll start right now. I'll just stop. I told my daughter this week that reading this chapter is like me singing in the shower, right? You guys don't ever want to hear my singing, okay? I don't think you either want to hear my reading of every one of these names. So I told, I told Casey, I said, I'm teaching this week. My daughter, Casey's 17, and, you know, she puts up with me like every other kid I have. But I, I just, I find it hilarious that, you know, and Ray, maybe in preaching, you're supposed to read all these names when you teach. Can I just tell everybody to look at them and say, hey, try and pronounce them yourself. Um, if there's a na name that pops out, we can talk about them. So the, the best advice I ever got from a professor and pastor of mine in the past was you, nobody knows how to say these names, right? So maybe Matt Alat does because, you know, he's, he's a language scholar, but the rest of us don't. And so if you just say it with confidence, everybody believes that you already, you know what you're talking about. So. Okay. That's good to know. And, you know, I listened to a couple of YouTube sermons, you know, on this, on chapter seven, and, and one of the guys actually read every single name in chapter seven. I almost like fell over dead. And, and he, and he hacked, you know, if there, if there were, you know, 50 names, he hacked, he hacked 30 of them up. So um, again, now what we're going to do is get into a list of the people. So I think it's important um, as we go through this, I kind of wanted to just switch um, just to bring up, uh, let me bring up the, uh, you know, a lot of times I get into the scripture. Can you guys see the passage on the screen as we get into this? Everybody feel all right with that? Can you see it? Good. Do I need to blow it up just a little bit? Okay. So obviously in verse eight, we get into all the listing of the different, um, people of Israel that, that, that are there and located uh, with Nehemiah in Jerusalem. And I think as I go through this, I'm just going to point out some, some things that I picked up as I went through the list. I am certainly not going to read it, okay? And, and like I said, we're going to call this a singing in the shower moment. I don't sing in the shower. You don't have to listen to me sing because my voice is terrible. So I don't want you to have to listen to me read the names because I'm going to hack that one up too. So what I would say is, you know, the names were important, you know, so I think I'm reading through the Bible in a year with a bunch of guys. And I'm amazed, you know, like I made it through the tough part already, you know, we're, we're into Kings. So we made it through, you know, those books of Moses and, and, and the Torah, so to speak, you know, the, the Exodus, Leviticus numbers, you know, I, I lived, I lived the dream and made it through. Okay. Um, but what I'm finding more and more is I am fascinated by the listing of names um, you know, just because there's information there. And I think, I think they were written down as a level of importance, you know, Nehemiah, um, in, in this whole situation, I think all of this was important to identify these people, obviously, um, as they're, as they're in the words. So it's a bridge that connects the historical past, you know, what took place to a prophetic future. So these were the people, you know, we looked at the population size and we had half a million and we're probably going to be sitting about 45,000 or 40,000 people. So there, there's very few people uh, identified. So each one of them are important. And I think our kids having a connection, that's what's been, uh, the, you know, my draw to Mount Calvary from day one. You know, I think I've told people that, you know, my children, Jen has a very, very quality um you know, kind of genealogy, you know, she grew up five minutes from both sets of grandparents. So she'd have a sleepover at grandparents' house once a week. Okay. And, and Mike came from dysfunction, you know, and I, I never really saw grandparents, aunts or uncles. Uh, my parents were divorced. Um, you know, it was just, it, it's funny how God brings you into that, that home and shows you a godly family. And I've aspired to that ever since. 
And I think it's important for my kids to be able to identify a genealogy and, and kind of flip the family tree, so to speak. You know, and I want engagement. So like selfishly, I'm building a house. My wife and I bought land or building a house and the, the, the sole purpose, and I'll, I'll state it here. I know we're, we might be recorded, Ray, so I'll try and be, be you know, probably proper, but, but I, am, I am holding my kids hostage, okay, to come see me. So I'm gonna build a house and I'm going to make it nice enough where I want, I'm going to like make it so they have no option on Christmas. I want them all at my house. You know, I want them to come visit. I want them to aspire to be around me because I'm, I'm going to be the most selfish grandpa on the planet. Okay. And, and that's what I want because I see lists like this and I see that's, you know, I bought a beach house for the same reason. You know, I aspire, I have five kids. I aspire to be at the beach five weeks in the summer. And every week a different kid comes to see me, okay? Because they gotta be at grandpa's because he's got the beach house, right? I am holding my kids hostage. And I think that's, because this stuff is important to me. And, and I think that's, you know, kind of at the root of some of this. Um, I'm sorry, I took a bird walk there. So think about this, Nehemiah wanted to populate the holy city with citizens who knew they were Jews and were proud of it. Okay, so he's very careful to make sure that he understood the lineage, you know, of the groups here. So as we go through this, there's 10 groups listed, starting with the leaders who returned with Zerubbabel, and these 12 men represented 12 tribes. So let's just look in verses 8 to 25. Okay, I'll start with that real quick. Okay, when you look at this list of people uh, in verses 8 to 25, we have the, the different clans from the families in verses 8 to 25, and a number of people who returned to land, okay? So you actually have, you know, that census, so to speak, of who came from each family, okay? Which I think is really cool. You know, you, you think about it. When I first got to Mount Calvary, we could have done this because there were some, there was, I, I felt like, you know, there were so many extended families in the church. I felt like an outcast, and we could have done this. Like, we could have had the Moors, and we could have had the Hillshires, we could have had the Winters, you know? So that was kind of a thing when you know, I saw at Mount Calvary. I'd, I'd love to, you know, continue to see that develop. I, that, that's one thing I would say for Mount Calvary. It's, it's kind of been tough for me because I've seen some of those different families, you know, kind of walk out. And that was always pretty, pretty cool to me. You know, like Heidi said, her first impression of the Christian school was a certain way. My first impression of the church was I saw all these different families I could just spy on and learn from, you know, and I think that's important. So verses 27 to 38, you know, as we keep going down, okay, I, I thought that was pretty um, interesting because it's a list of people according to their villages, okay? So this is where the people had come from or where they, li they lived. If you look at verse 38, okay, they actually identify the largest group or the, from a village from Sanaa, okay? And, and, and honestly, I found that interesting because that's the Hebrew word for hated, okay? So the, this group of people were basically lower class citizens, okay? And it was kind of more of a category of people rather than a location. So everything else here seemed to be villages, but that Sinah was more of the lower class citizens that were, were living amongst them, okay? So they, they definitely had a caste system. Um, you know, that, that existed. Um, and, and again, I, I think there's a place for everybody, but I think if you go back to the structure of what Nehemiah was looking at, you know, he, he wanted people that were connected as Jewish citizens and they, and he wanted people that were proud of their ancestry, but he also had people that he was unsure of. So I think that's important to understand within the, the walls that Nehemiah built. Okay. So then we hit uh, where we talk about the temple priests, okay, and he, he uh, intentionally called out the priests that were located and, and what descendants they were. And then from verse 46 and below, we look at the temple servants, okay, um, again, that, that supported the, the, the priests, okay, the servants were organized by David, okay, when you look at you know, when you look at people like this, when, you know, as they're organized by David or Solomon, these could have been people that were taken in war, okay, and, and, and now were committed 
um, you know, to this people group. Okay, when you when you look about look at the the history, um, a lot of these people were taken in prisoner of war and did a lot of the hard labor tasks like cutting wood or drawing water. Uh, they could have been Solomon servants. I, you know, I just got into reading a lot of Solomon uh, background on Solomon um, as I look uh, at his leadership following David, and it's amazing to me, you know, how there were prisoners of war, so to speak. Okay, and and there was so much conflict and battle. It's, it, it's that's been a hard thing for me reading the Old Testament. Is you know we we praise a lot of these leaders, but boy, were they so cruel in war. You know when you hear about these these leaders, we're supposed to you know uh, follow. You know like David or or Solomon, and and you think about um, you know Solomon's wisdom or David's courage, and you think oh my gosh, but they were cutting people's heads off and hanging people and. I'm just like, oh my God, it was, it was like brutality. And, and uh, but yet these were people that were taken in war, but now committed to the Jewish culture. Um, so I think that's important as well. Okay, um, let's see if there's anything else that I've got that I wanna kind of point out as we go through this. As we look at Levites, I mean, I think we've got to understand um, going through who the Levites were. Uh, they were assistants to the priest and teaching the word, okay? Levites were a chosen group, okay? In this, we also identify uh, musicians um, through these passages and just the importance of musicians played. You know, about 18 times in Nehemiah, he recognized musicians as people who were praising God. So that was important. Worship was important to Nehemiah in establishing this culture. As I go through verse 60 to 65, just to make a couple of final comments, um, you know, leaders need to be proven, okay? We, we can't place people in leadership until they're proven, and they need to be proven as part of the family of God. So, you know, a, a, as we look at that, you know, um, there were people that were not proven that were still amongst others, but they were all classified and not given the power or, or the, uh, the leadership role unless, unless they were part of the genealogy. So I think that's important to just, as you just go through all this, I think it's important to read through this and, and just understand the different people groups that, that are pulled up. So as we look and just finish up, you know, verse 66, I think summarizes the number of people. And this is where I go back to the fact that, remember we started with a half a million people, you know, and we had, uh, about 7,000 slaves amongst this group. So, you, you know, when you look at this, the whole company was about 42,000. And of that, you know, if you look, a sixth of the population were slaves, you know? So they were, you know, captives of some sort. Um, you know, so you really, when you think of one sixth of the population, I think Nehemiah had to be careful because the Tobias of the world, you know, that, that internal, um, enemies, so to speak, or potential the internal enemy is there, you know, so he had to be careful. And, and in leadership, you think about it, okay, compare this to the church, you know, if, if we had, you know, uh, 42,000 people attending Mount Calvary, and we knew maybe 7,000, you know, did not, it might have questionable genealogy, so to speak, Okay, that's that's very similar. You know, we're we're an outreach church as well, and and I think you have to be careful in terms of who's in that leadership role. You know, and I think that's that, that's that's a good number to compare it to. And then finally, you know, at the very end, you know, they they talked about establishing agriculture in the area as well. So you know, that's where you see the animals come in. Um, you know, so I think everything was very thoughtful as Nehemiah went through. Um, just establishing, you know, what, what now is going to make up, you know, uh, the, the internal parts of the, the wall, so to speak. Okay, these were pioneers of the faith, okay, and I believe that everybody needed counted. So that's, that's kind of here in verse 7, what, you know, as, as uh, we go through that, um, I think it was important just to to peek at that it was hard for it's hard to teach on those things but i think you have to make comments to it any thoughts any thoughts with chapter seven
Okay. So it looks like I got about five or 10 minutes. I, I want to just preview chapter eight, um, you know, have a little conversation about this. You know, I think it's important as we get to the end of this, I'm going to start combining some chapters. We'll probably finish in maybe three-ish weeks, you know, just to kind of put close to this. But I think it's important to recognize um, some, some key elements after the wall's been, been built. So just to dive into chapter eight, I wanted to preview, you know, the first couple of verses as we closed, um, you know, just so that we can get a good uh, reading on, you know, what's going to be coming next. Any thoughts so far? As I get my notes all set up here. Anything stand out to you about all the genealogy that's introduced in chapter seven? Yeah, I, th I think it's interesting. I think that as leaders, you have to have this delicate balance between unity and diversity. And so I think one of the things that stood out to me as I was reading this is, man, I mean, there are a lot of different groups of people here from a lot of different backgrounds, lots of different perspectives, yet obviously they're part of something bigger than themselves. And I think sometimes we can fall into the trap of, well, you have to be the same as me. Everyone has to think alike and live alike and do alike in order for us to have success. And we touched on this a little earlier. That's simply not the case that, you know, it's good to have people in your midst that have different perspectives that, you know, I mean, my wife and I are good examples, just like you, Mike, I grew up in a very um, divided home. You know, I had half of my mom's family didn't speak to the other half still for 20 years now over a family issue that I had nothing to do with, but I hadn't, haven't seen my grandpa in that long. Um, and my wife had a great Christian home and, and just, you know, her father's been a pastor at the same church for over 30 years. I mean, just totally different. And so now we bring our differing perspectives to our current situation. And I think that that's a picture of what the church is supposed to be, right? It's diverse opinions, backgrounds, you know, growth, development that people have experienced in their lives. And it's about, you know, coming together in a unified purpose. And so I think you need to celebrate that diversity, recognize it, but at the same time, ultimately point people to the same mission and vision that they're supposed to have together. Great comment, Matt. And, and do you find it hard, Matt? I mean, I know for me, I find it hard at times because I try to defend my history a little bit because... <laughs> You know, I feel I feel guilty about some things, um, but then in my mind, I know what's right. You know, so it's it, it's hard because I'll do some things, you know, that I think I try to defend myself that probably aren't right, and and things I've experienced, um, and it's hard. I know God's gifted us with our experiences, but it's hard not to. It, it, it your pride gets in the way. It's kind of where I come from, you know. Uh, but it's no, great. no, I I agree. I agree. I feel like a lot of times with our family, it's really like a sprinkle of my, my experience and background with my family, right? And how we should raise our kids. And then it's, you know, a lot more of Julie's family and background that is, oh, this is a better way to do it. But I always like to have that little piece of, well, this is kind of mine. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. And it's and we think of that too, and I think I think as God has brought us into the church together, and as we assimilate and, and as we congregate and plan, I think we have to appreciate each other's differences. I've been on committees, I'll be quite frank, where, you know, I know I drive people nuts and the other people drive me nuts, you know, and, and I think that though, as I walk away, I'm very appreciative of it. And the older I get, the more I'm realizing that I just need to say my two cents and then allow others to have a differing opinion and then someone else can figure it out. You know, I, I have a lot of I have a lot of good brothers in Christ, you know, that, that I've come to know in 25 years that tend to ground me, you know, and I defer to them. You know, I used to I used to try to change even those people's minds. And now I'm, I'm realizing that I have to defer to those people that are good for me because they, they, they find that, that common ground. They listen to what I say, and then they process it with what the other people with, with a, a different opinion you know, bring out, for sure. Any other thoughts? 
Okay, let me just jump into this real quick. You know, we're going to get into chapter eight where all the people now are gathered. And what you're going to see is you're not going to see a lot of Nehemiah anymore. You know, you had that first person account essentially in the first, you know, six, seven chapters of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, I don't, you know, he kind of disappears. You know, you know, he's still part of this, this, this whole book, um, but he's going to take a, a less prominent role. Okay, so let me just go through the first couple of verses in chapter eight as we, we kind of close. All the people came together in the square at the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord commanded for Israel. So the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of the men and the women who were able to understand. So Ezra basically, again, I talked to you about Ezra being located in the area. Okay. Um, he's a priest. Okay. I think this is very cool because Nehemiah is now in deference to the man of God, okay? Nehemiah has, has orchestrated the labor, but now he transitions the spiritual leadership to Ezra, okay? And when you look at this, Ezra is bringing out the, the, the law of Moses. So the law of Moses is the first five chapters of the, the Bible, okay, in the Old Testament, okay? And the first day of the seventh month was like the new year for the Jews, Okay, it's a time of reflection. It's a time of setting goals. So it's amazing how God's timing was perfect in all of this. Okay, so as he got into this, he read from he read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of men, women and others who could understand all the people listened attentively to the book of law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on the high wooden platform built for the occasion beside him on the right. There's 12 men, I'm not going to name them, but 12 men stood on the right of Ezra, okay? So when you look at this, think about it. You've got Ezra standing up on a wooden platform. So Nehemiah was intentional about building a pulpit, okay? Intentional in, a, in an area where people could be drawn together, okay? And um, you look at Ezra, he read this from daybreak till noon. So think about this. Okay, you're talking about like four or five hours that he read the first five chapters of the book. Okay, Ray, you stand up and preach. You're going to talk about the first five chapters of Mount Calvary. Okay, and you're going to read it from daybreak till noon. Okay, but that's what took place. So as Ezra opened the book, all the people could see him because they stood. So not only are you going to read the first five chapters, Ray, but every, everyone's going to stand from daybreak to noon. Okay, and Ezra praised the Lord. The, the great God, and all the people lift their hands and said, amen. They bowed down and worshiped their faces to the ground. Okay, so again, you know, think about this, that, um, you know, we'll close as we get into chapter eight next week. That's kind of the setting, right? You have everybody, you know, we introduced who's in, in, inside the wall. Now we've got Ezra who's speaking to everybody. And I think that's going to be important as we move into the rest of the chapter. We're looking at the spiritual condition, and, and now we're fortifying the spiritual lives of the people within the wall, because the walls, the physical nature of the walls have been fortified, and now we're going to focus on the spiritual side. Okay, that's going to bring us into next week. Any, any comments here as we get going? I think there's power in how they all recognized who the authority was. The authority in who in Ezra? Uh, no, in, in the law. Yes, yes, no doubt. And, and, and you know, honestly, I think it's it's you know, um, you know, for us, I, I I love for me now as I'm reading through the Bible in a year, I love the accountability, but I also love the structure of it, and I think that we gravitate to it after we fight it. You know, I used to fight that. Do I really have to read the Bible this way? Do I really have to do Christian life this way? And now that I'm in it, I don't think I'd do it any other way. You know what I mean? So I, I, I agree with you for sure. Other thoughts? Yeah, I think, you know, as far as the diversity end goes that we were talking about, I, I you know, looking back on my adult life, even probably my childhood life, I have, I have gained so much better perspective and um, I, it's made me a better person being around people that are less like me because 
I think especially growing up in this in central Pennsylvania, you're around people that are pretty much like you. Um, <laughs> you know, I just it's just the way it is. And the people, you know, the Dan Sheards, the Mike Robinsons of of my life have definitely broadened my understanding of God's word. It's it's made me look at things from a different view. Um so I think, I think God has created it that way. Um, and also one more comment, Mike, your kids are going to come to see you, not your houses. So don't worry about it. I know. I know. I still like the amusement park at my house. So I think it's a good draw. I, <laughs> I'm going to do something. To I might buy a horse or something. I'm just yeah. trying to think <laughs> what I want to do is a, you know, kind of an thing so they can all talk about grandpas. That's great. So that, what else, folks, in closing? What else do you think? I was going to piggyback off of what Heidi said, too. I think it goes back to the integrity and the fear of God. Um, they're following the law, but I think integrity is like that daily decision to do the right thing. But I, I wrote down, like, can you have integrity without the fear of God? So I think they're kind of interwoven of they're making the right decisions, but they also have to fear God. And so how unique is it that or Devon, I should say, that Ezra comes in and starts reading the law for the fear of God, right? That's how they're going to stay making those correct decisions of integrity. You know, I found it interesting. Like for me, I don't, you know, I won't go off on this, but when I wrote my dissertation, I wrote it on parenting and Deuteronomy 6 was my guiding passage, okay? And, you know, I studied the Shema and what the Shema was for the Jewish culture. And, and I think when you read through that, um, you know, the Shema was a phrase that was, uh, had to be memorized by every Jewish boy, okay, to love a lot, Lord your God with all your heart. And, and, and I think, um, you know, those are the types of things that we ingrain in people. Like when, when the Jewish folks, they, 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 they put those little armbands on and they had, uh, the heck were they called, uh, Basuzalah. Okay, there are little boxes on their armbands they wore with scripture cards. So they used to pull them out and memorize them. That was part of the Jewish culture as well. You know, as they memorized, you know, they, they wrote it on their doorposts. And I, I think for us, you know, there, there's some conditional behaviors that should take place for us to get to that point where, you know, you look at Dan Sheard, you brought that up, Ryan. You know, Dan has conditions, I think, that he's gotten to. He's a, he's a very intelligent man, but I also think that, you know, he, it wouldn't shock me. I don't know his personal life well enough, but I think that he conditions himself to do certain things daily so that he grows in those in the right areas. You know, I think that's important to prioritize things in your life in order to do that. You know, any final thoughts? Anything else? We're at the 730 mark. I don't want to keep keep gabbing. Okay, let me close in prayer if I can, because, you know, one thing I would say about this group, um, I've been so encouraged, it, it, it kind of, you know, teaching is really easy when you got a bunch of smart people, right? I mean, I, I think when you throw a comment out, you have a bunch of smart people that are processing and not just attending, you know, and they're giving feedback and they're, they're thinking through the week and reflecting and reading and prepping. I mean, to me, that's the kind of teaching I can do. You know, it's when you have to stand in, in, in Sunday school, Ray, and, and they all look at you like you're some, some expert. You know, I, I think it's just like, I want to grow each week alongside of you. And it's just been a blessing with the people I have. I can't believe I, the, the group that's been gifted at a 6.30 in the morning for several weeks. It's been cool. I look forward to it every week. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I thank you for what we're drawing from the chapter of Nehemiah. I pray, Lord, that we would take this kind of attention to every chapter in the, in the book, Lord, in the Bible, and, and, and help us to grow in every area. Lord, I, I pray that we can make application. I, I pray, Lord, that each in our own lives, that we would um, just, just kind of uh, be introspective and, 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 and think about where you want us to grow and how, how you want us to grow for you. Thank you for each one of these people and their families, Lord, and what they do. Uh, bless them indeed, Lord, as they move forward through the week. Bring us back next week and, and give us the vibrance that, that it takes to dig into your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, folks. Hey, I appreciate it. Have a great Saturday. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Thanks. Thanks Ray.
that. See ya. See ya. Eric, how you doing, buddy? Turn your mic on. You think by now I'd have this down? All right. It's a new world How's the back doing? Good, man. It's good. I, I, I'm definitely getting better for sure. I mean, I'm, you yeah, know, it's awesome. they, the doctor told me this week, he said it's a, it's a full three month recovery. So ah. I asked him, when, when am I going to be like spreading mulch? <laughs> they said June 1. You know, I had my surgery March 1. So they said by June 1, you're supposed to be back to normal. Now I'm going to go back to work uh, a week Monday. Oh, wow. Okay. I got a doctor's note that um, I can go back to work for with light duty. And, and I told the doctor, I said, light duty, I stand in front of a laptop. All day. <laughs> whole life is light, is light duty. I'll be fine. Not mentally, just physically. Yeah. My whole, yeah, we're the back. Uh, how about you, did you pursue that, uh, you know, that license? What did you find out about that? Uh, no, I did. I um, last weekend I put a lot of hours in. Uh, actually, passed the National Home Inspector Certification course. So what was supposed to take three weeks, we did it in about three days. I'm just trying to push it through, man, to hit the ground running. Uh, markets are on fire. The birds are chirping. Biden just gave out all kinds of money. So people, you know, I, I want to hit the ground running while the market's so hot. You know. Did you get a check? Yeah, we did. Yeah, a couple days ago. I opened my bank account. I had ten thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what's he doing? I can't believe it. He's just giving money. Uh, out. He's, he's wrecking the country. Is what he's doing. Your kids and grandkids <laughs> are going to pay it back. Hey, what's going on? Come here. Okay. Okay. Oh, sorry, we got boo boos in the morning. Oh boy, that's right. You want to see him come Huh? Okay. Hey, buddy, how you doing? Uh, Mike, I really appreciate you leading this, buddy. It's, uh, oh. uh, I, I mean, like I said, I, I got into it because well, who wouldn't want to do a Bible study? You know what I mean? But when you said Nehemiah, I'm thinking, what's he going to do in Nehemiah? Then it was on leadership and, you know, I've, I've had construction companies and employees and stuff, but I'm trying to get away from that. And why am I here? You know, but I, I picked up so many little just tidbits and nuggets that don't even really apply to leadership. But what I'm going through in life, it's, it's amazing how God works in that respect. You know, you can intend it from something else and take it somewhere else. Yeah, I was reading this week thinking of you because when you look at Ananias, okay, his role, you're the kind of guy that if I owned the company, you'd be the first guy. I, you know, My God. I, I am a great backup guy i'm a, I'm a second hand man I, I i just excel at that role never been good at leadership but like you said hananiah that's where i fit in you know well it's funny god's placed me in that role and i want to be in nehemiah's role and i, I kind of fight that but i think i'm starting to realize that, that god uses people in huge ways you know when you talk about that person that played the trumpet for you i'll find your trumpet player that's Hananiah. you know mm. that's important Yep, you're right. You're right. Well, listen, I'm praying for that. I'm excited to hear more about your real estate endeavors. Yeah. Yeah, it looks promising, buddy. And we're praying for you and your back and everything you got going on here, man. I, I don't know how you do it. No, no, we're good, buddy. We're good. Keep it rolling. I got a great wife. Yes, you do, buddy. So do I. God bless you. See Take care, Mike. See ya.